Hi, I'm Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. And now talking about housing, many Americans this winter could be struggling to heat their homes amid unstable energy costs. And President Biden announced the last of the oil he approved to release from the strategic oil reserves and that they will go to market in late December. Joining us to discuss the energy crisis America is facing right now, we have Kathleen Sagama, president of the Western Energy Alliance. Kathleen Sagama, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Kathleen, the president has tapped into the nation's strategic oil reserves twice now before the midterms. He made a telling proposition last week to the Saudis asking them not to cut production until after the midterms. Where do you see oil prices going, let's say December, January, February? Well, I am not um, a market analyst, so I'm not the best to predict, but I do enjoy, well, I guess I don't enjoy, but it's interesting to see that the strategic petroleum reserve is now the strategic political reserve because it's clear that um, the Democrats and President Biden are feeling serious political heat about high gasoline prices. And as that election comes closer and closer, um, they're panicking and uh, the president is using that SPR for really what it was not intended to do, which is to save a political party. Now, winter is a time when Americans rely on oil uh, to heat their homes on like a vehicle where, say, you could cut back or drive less. Um, many Americans need, you know, heat to for their homes. How big of a concern is this for those in colder winter states relying on oil? Well, luckily, um, most of, of the country has more sane energy policies than New England. Um, New England and some parts of New York are ones that are more dependent on home heating oil. Most of the rest of the country uses natural gas to heat, which is more clean burning for heating, more efficient, and um, less expensive than heating with oil. So if New England didn't spend so much time blocking natural gas pipelines to the most prolific natural gas field in the country in Pennsylvania, then they probably would not be feeling this squeeze as much. So, you know, but the bottom line is, politicians' folly should not be borne by people who have really little to do with those decisions. Um, although voters in New England should certainly consider that as they're casting their ballots. So it's really unfortunate that politicians have blocked natural gas infrastructure because it is much cheaper to heat and better for the environment to heat with natural gas. Now, having said that, natural gas prices are also actually high this year, again, because natural gas uh, production has been limited by this administration, infrastructure has been stopped, and those regulations they have not backed off on. So um, we, we are seeing higher natural gas prices than usual as well, but home heating oil will be particularly um, high. Now, in terms of uh, the Keystone XL pipeline uh, being stopped by the Biden administration, we hear that this could be, you know, one of the key key factors. Is it really as simple as if that were to be um, let loose again, that uh, we would see oil prices drastically um, shift? Well, it's not just one thing. Keystone XL was really important because it was day one. It was the first thing President Biden did, and it was a signal that I'm going to stop 
oil and natural gas development, infrastructure, anything that will provide inexpensive, reliable energy to the American people. I'm going to stop all that in the name of climate change. So it was a strong signal. And certainly if he had let that, that pipeline was ready to be built out last year. So that certainly blocked a supply of oil from a friendly nation, Canada. And instead, we've got a situation where the president is going hat in hand to Venezuela and Saudi Arabia and Iran. So, you know, he's he's reaping what he sowed with that announcement. But it's not just Keystone. A week later, he blocked leasing on federal lands and waters. Well, we get about a quarter of our oil from federal lands and, and waters. So it's and then it's regulation on top of regulation, financial regulations meant to chase capital away from oil and natural gas. It's a whole bunch of different policies that are together adding up to make this inflation worse, make this energy inflation worse, not just now, but into the future. Kathleen Sagama, really appreciate you joining us. My pleasure. Now over to New York, city and state officials are vowing to curb crime on the subway system. This comes after a rash of violent incidents on the nation's largest mass transit system. We all have heard that seen the subways, the stories, the headlines, violent attacks, muggings, a 15 year old boy losing his life to violence just a week ago. Nine homicides on our subway so far this year. Tragic losses of life. Recent incidents include the fatal shooting of a 15-year-old boy on a train in Queens earlier this month and the death of a man pushed in front of another train during a dispute just on Monday. New measures will include increased police patrols, cameras, and mental health help for those in need. The NYPD plans to increase the police presence in the subway system by adding about 10,000 overtime hours daily. NYPD officers will patrol platforms in at least 300 stations during peak hours, and transit officers will ride hundreds of additional trains per day. Now that New York officials are acknowledging the rise in crime, we take a look at what could be behind the rise. Joining us to discuss, we have former NYPD detective Rob O'Donnell. Rob O'Donnell, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Thanks for having me. Rob, we're seeing a historic spike in crime uh, throughout the entire country, specifically in major cities. Uh, what do you think is driving this uh, rise in crime? Well, you, you have a, a perfect storm trifecta of uh, a decade of creating a callous atmosphere towards everything law enforcement, uh, along with the judicial revolving door that the you know progressive prosecutors have created and uh, legislatures in the states that uh, are taking away cash bail and, and letting repeat violent offenders back out on the street. Now we hear a lot about the after effects of uh, Black Lives Matter and uh, defund the police. First, I guess I wanna get your thoughts. Are, are we still you know, seeing the effects of those uh, protests? Yeah, when the defund the police movement started, I was screaming from the rooftops that uh, you know, for every one year we follow a defund the police platform, it takes three to four years to correct, correct that. It takes that much more effort. Uh, you know, policing doesn't happen in a bubble. It takes time to recruit. It takes time to train. It takes time to get officers out on the street. And this this atmosphere where, you know, you know we've created uh, this unwelcomeness for law enforcement that's created this exodus nationwide of, of police officers and a recruitment uh, crisis. It's just that much more 
uh, propelling the issue of uh, of uh, the defund the police movement. And it's going to take, you know, like I said, for every year it took place, it's going to take three to four years to correct. Now, you mentioned the, um, you know, the inner workings of the, uh, the justice system in terms of uh, prosecutors and, and district attorneys and no cash bail. How does that ultimately affect uh, the rise in crime? Uh, we're releasing violent felons back out on the street, you know, with, with no cash bail, with, with uh, you know, the, the change in laws that certain off- offenses, violent offenses, you know, aren't, aren't being held uh, in, in jails. It's just putting these individuals back on the street. Criminals are are creatures of opportunity. And if we're not holding them accountable, if we're not hitting them in the pocket, we're just releasing them back on the street. You know, they only get caught for a small percentage of the crimes they commit. So they're going to take their chances and commit, you know, a dozen more crimes and maybe get arrested for one or two of those crimes. Now, you were a New York City detective. Um, We're seeing in some of these campaign ads, uh, Lee Zeldin for governor in New York, uh, the, the, the basically the highlight reel, if you will, of these endless crimes. Is it, you know, an isolated incident that's just being put into a, a reel of video for people to see, or are people really feeling the uh, the effects of those? No, there's both real crime and a great perception of crime. And sometimes perception is harder to deal with than actual crime because you can't tell people what they're feeling. If they're feeling unsafe, if the atmosphere they're they're experiencing day in and day out. Uh, based on the crime that is happening, is making them feel unsafe, then then we, it needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed by getting officers out on the street, by retaining officers, by giving them you know the, the backing that they need to do the job and, and aggressively pursue these violent felons. Do you think that this will ultimately, uh, the, the perception of crime that you're speaking of, people feeling unsafe, will have an impact on the upcoming uh, elections? Oh, it definitely will. Uh, you know, when you, when you get down to the core of anything, I think it's jumped up to the top three or four already. Uh, you know, people don't like feeling unsafe. They, they they like to go out and enjoy their lives, you know, especially with an economy that's on the downturn. You know, when things are getting harder. You know, they want to do the things that they enjoy doing. They want to go travel. They want to go to the parks. They want to take their kids to school. Um, and if the crime is, is preventing that, it's really hurting people in their day-to-day lives. Speaking of elections, political-related crimes appear to be on the rise. Uh, There was an 18-year-old Trump supporter who was allegedly ran over by a a truck and killed uh, by a person claiming that this this, uh, 18-year-old was a political extremist. That has not been, uh, you know, uh, validated yet. Uh, Reports are just coming out uh, today uh, over a a Marco Rubio supporter canvassing in Florida um, in a Democrat area. He was beaten very badly. What do you make of this uh, trend? Uh, It should be uh, unacceptable across the board, regardless of the side of the aisle it comes from. There is no place for that in a just society, in a democratic society. Um, You know, we have the rights and and we fought for the rights to to want... uh, petition who we want to go out there and support who we want to support. The media needs to uh, address these issues on on an equal basis, not just highlight when it's one side or the other side, but it needs to be denounced across the board, not encouraged in any way. Former New York City police officer and detective Rob O'Donnell, thank you so much. Thanks again for having me. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.